0: Dan.
1: hello katie
0: welcome everyone to have you ever heard of a history podcast
1: where we talk about people from history you may or may not have heard of
0: every week is different every week <laughs> is new and exciting
1: i thought i'd give it like a sports like a like a racing um
0: like a pundit
1: like a pundit yeah racing like commentator kind of like flair this week
0: <laughs> every week it's a new flair. <laughs> he spends all week researching that That's actually what he does, and then the history is just done on the fly. Uh, Yeah, you're right. Yeah, good. Not too bad. Good. It's it's a Friday record. We usually record sometime during the week, but um, today it's Friday because mainly I've been busy. Yeah, it's nice. TGIF, weekend ahead of us.
1: Though, I mean, nothing really changed. I mean, there's nothing to do, but yeah. yeah. Though I mean, I do have actually have plans this weekend. I mean, things have started to open up now, so we're allowed to meet one friend outside, one
0: singular friend. Though so, we, you and I, did that like last week.
1: That's true, yeah.
0: Though we did walk,
1: yeah, um,
0: which is allowed because it's exercise. So now you can just like sit. Instead yeah. of walking.
1: And that is what I will be doing this weekend. Sitting. Me and a friend will sit with beers like hobos at the canal and get drunk.
0: Nice. Very nice. Um, I will be, yeah, I think still walking tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, just chilling out. Maybe do some gardening. And maybe do some reading. And on the subject of reading, going into the first time doing today. <laughs> so I have been reading a book. And it's about art heists. It's about the theft of arts. Particularly this book is about Rembrandt's stealing because I have been um, learning about the Brock from the National Gallery and I got really interested in the stolen Rembrandt's because um, he is one of the most stolen painters ever. And there was a a heist that happened in 1990 and they still haven't found those 10 paintings. And it made me think about one of the most famous art heists ever, mm-hmm. or maybe even the most famous art theft. I don't like the word heist because it makes it sound like kind of mobby. Yeah. Whereas like a lot of a- them are just not like cool. that. Yeah. They're just like thefts. So <laughs> what I did was I asked people on in- our Instagram, people on our fi- Twitter and my family and friends, what is the most famous painting in the world? Like, the most well-known painting in the world. Can you guess what the most popular answer was?
1: Mona Lisa, surely.
0: The Mona Lisa. Okay, so today... Dan, have you ever heard of <laughs> Vincenzo Perugia? Uh,
1: no. I have not.
0: Okay. Vincenzo Perugia is the man who stole the Mona Lisa. Oh. So, we are going to be focusing around, like, the event, but I'm going to tell you about Vincenzo's life as well so let's do it So Prugger was born in Italy he was born in a town called Temenza on the 8th of October 1881 he was the first of three brothers and a sister so the eldest son and as many teenagers did at that time at the age of 12 he moved to work in Milan so he was still really young um, but he just wanted to get out of his small town so he learned to be a house painter and he worked in Milan until he was eighteen, and then he moved and then two years later he moved to Paris so a lot of people um Italian workers at this time were moving like in waves mm. to France and particularly Paris for the work I don't have like any more information about his early life apart from that, but that's more than you can get on the internet like (laughs) i had to scour the internet and watch a documentary for this information he's an enigmatic man really what we know about like i said is the event so so in paris he continued to work as a house painter he actually got lead poisoning twice
1: while working because
0: back in the 1880s 1890s 1900s they were still mixing like lead with the pigment yeah and this was quite common to get lead poisoning from the lead paint. So he got it twice. The first time we went back home to get it treated, the second time he stayed in Paris, and he was actually in hospital for 15 days.
1: It can uh, bring about madness, can't it? bit of lead poisoning.
0: Well, that is actually a good point, because um, in one of the documentaries I watched, they did actually say that it can affect your like frontal mm. uh, frontal lobe, which is where the decision-making happens. So that's just ah. something to keep in mind.
1: There's another famous house painter, isn't there? He went on to do crazy, crazy things.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Crazy (laughs) crimes. Actually, prior to the famous theft that we'll talk about soon, he had two prior arrests. The first one was a weird situation where he was walking out of a, a bar or restaurant and he saw three kids rolling terracotta pipes along the road and okay. he like shouted at them, like, "What are you doing?" And they were like,
1: "It's <laughs> <laughs> a great little accent, I loved it."
0: <laughs> <laughs> Did you love it? That's like my Mario accent. I'm really sorry for any Italians listening. <laughs> and they ran away and left the pipes. So he like gathered them up to, to take them, and steal them. Mm-hmm. He accidentally dropped one, and then all the French people around him were like, "Thief, thief!" Because they not like big fans. Of the Italians that were coming over to take work from them. Oh, boy. Especially as this is in the wake of what would be World War One, So there's already tension. Mm-hmm. Not the wake. That's the wrong word, isn't it? This is
1: in the lead, yeah.
0: in the lead yeah, yeah, up yeah.
1: to World War I. Oh, yeah. And Italy would have been on the other side at this time. Because they switched right at the last minute.
0: Exactly. So yeah, no, yeah. there's tension. So then he had an arrest for theft there. And the second time was an accusation by a woman called Abel Kroffman, who is a prostitute, and he said that they nothing happened between them, but she said he hit her on the neck and took out a knife, oh, boy. but the arrest papers for him don't actually mention him hitting her at all, just the fact that he was holding a knife, and he was sent to jail for eight days. Eight days? So, yeah, that's... that. Those are his two prior arrests. I don't know.
1: It doesn't seem like there's even much point in that. <laughs> Eight days yeah. of jail. Just... just give
0: him, like, a fine or something. <laughs> Though I don't think I would have liked to be in French jail in the ni- 1910s. That's true. That's... I mean, I know he doesn't know that. It's going to get better. But, like...
1: It, w- it would have been it pretty Probably pretty grim. Like the back of a Volkswagen.
0: So, uh... I said that the French weren't too happy with him and the other Italians. They actually called him Sal Macaroni, or just macaroni sometimes, which means dirty Italian.
1: That's harsh.
0: That's a bit harsh, but apparently that's what he was called. The Louvre. How did he manage to get this idea in his head that he was going to steal the Mona Lisa? So the Louvre, for those of you who have... Been there, is the host of the Mona Lisa, always had been and always will be, probably, unless there's some sort of disaster. And he worked not only as a painter, but also in a company that made glass. And in the Louvre, there had been two masterpieces that were slashed with knives in two months. There's actually like a joke about how bad the security was at the Louvre. I mean,
1: who's going around slashing works of art with knives?
0: Well, it's either going to be crazy people or it's going to be people in protest. So, for example, there was a woman, a suffragette, who slashed a painting in the National Gallery out of protest.
1: Oh, okay. Which pa- which painting?
0: I know it was a Baroque painting, but I cannot remember who it was by. Okay. I don't know who slashed these two paintings, but they decided to put, like, the masterpieces... Like mm-hmm. the 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 great paintings, at least behind glass,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and Vincenzo Perugia's company was trusted to put glass the glass up. up, right? So that's how he managed to spend some time in the Louvre. He was one of the people that was trusted to cut and clean the glass before it was put up. So he had probably been there every day, you know, kind of thinking about this art. And maybe not plotting, but just thinking about maybe I'll steal the money loser. So, on the 21st of August, 1911, Perugia committed what may be the greatest art theft of the 20th century. He says, and this is according to his police reports, so I have to give massive credit to the documentary on Amazon Prime by... A guy, I know his first name is Joe, I can't remember his surname, who was like obsessed with this and he Mm -hmm. spent like 30 years and um, went through like 1,000, 15,000 documents or something crazy to get all this information, so thank you very much. And also a couple of obituaries and articles that were written around the 100-year mark, which was Mm -hmm. 10 years ago. He says he got up at 6am and he lived about two miles from the Louvre. According to police, the former Louvre employee hid in the museum on the Sunday because the Louvre was closed on the Monday. So they mm-hmm. thought he hid there, which you'll hear around the internet. But according to him in the actual police report, he didn't do that. He just got up in the morning on the Monday.
1: Okay. Just sauntered on in.
0: Well, yeah, he had stopped working there eight months previous. So, I don't know why he decided this would be like the best time. Maybe he thought enough time had passed that people like, had forgotten. Mm-hmm. So, he basically wore like a white smock, which is what all of the Louvre employees would wear. So, even though the Louvre was close to the public on a Monday, there were still employees there. Mm-hmm. And he knew the employee door that everyone would use. So, he went. In through the employee door, he went up the stairs, he crossed the first floor room, which is like a large room, and climbed the grand stairs up to the Salon Carré, where the Mona Lisa hung, and he waited until it was empty, he lifted the painting off the four iron pegs that secured it to the wall, and took it to a nearby staircase. He now decided he wanted to get out through a different door. So there happened to be a pile of like student paintings there. Mm -hmm. So he slipped the Mona Lisa behind those paintings to check the door that he wanted Mm -hmm. to get out of. Unfortunately, it was locked. So he took out a screwdriver, tried to unlock it, but only managed to take off the handle. And then this guy who actually did work there, a plumber, came down the the stairs, saw him, unlocked the door, but noticed the handle wasn't there. And Perugia just said, I don't know. I have no idea. But the guy went out the door and locked it behind him. So he's like, damn it. Can't get out of that door. So he put the handle in his pocket of a smock. Went and retrieved the Mona Lisa from <laughs> so the pile. So he stole the
1: handle as well. Just to add old insult to injury. Took the handle.
0: He got the Mona Lisa from the pile of paintings. <laughs> he took it out of his frame. So for those of you that don't know... The Lisa isn't painted on canvas, it's painted on wood.
1: Oh, ah, I didn't know that. Interesting.
0: Da Vinci obviously painted a lot of stuff on wood. Mm-hmm. So he took the frame and put it with the paintings and decided he would go out the way that he came. Some people think that he hid the painting inside his smock, but he said... And people do agree with this, that that wouldn't be possible because the painting was too large. And he was quite short. He was about my height, like Hmm. 5'3". The painting is is small, but it's still too large to be able to fit in without it looking like really bait that you've got a painting. Yeah, yeah.
1: Like walking like a starfish. (laughs)
0: Yeah, exactly. So he took off his smock, wrapped it around the Mona Lisa, Mm -hmm. went back through the way that he came, out the door, the employee door he came. Walked out the Louvre and got out about 7.30. He'd only been there for about 25 minutes. Um, he Efficient. threw the doorknob like it. in a ditch um, on his way out. And he got on the first bus he saw and then immediately got off because it wasn't going to his house. So he's like, <laughs> why did I get on this bus? I think he just panicked. And then got on a horse-drawn carriage and went to his house. And that was it. The moment he was gone. It was 24 hours before anyone noticed it was missing. (laughs) (laughs) The standard explanation from the Louvre is that it was closed for maintenance on a Monday and that somebody else may have removed it for cleaning or photography because sometimes the photographer... You know how photographs back then were used with that really long exposure camera? Oh, yeah. So they would take paintings down on a Monday when it was closed and take photographs. So people thought maybe it had been taken down. Understandable. However, it is true that museums were, and still sometimes are, quite blind to crime. At the time, also, it has to be remembered that Mona Lisa was not the world's most famous painting at this time. It wasn't universally known in 1911. There wasn't any way of seeing her except for actually going to the Louvre. There's no internet. There's no you know, mass production of this. Mm-hmm. She wasn't, like, super famous. Prints did exist, but they were very hard to come by, as the the painting was notoriously hard to copy as an engraving. In fact, it's notoriously hard to copy in general. Mm. Photographs did exist as well. The French police actually printed off 6,500 copies to post around the streets of London. Like, have you seen this painting?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Out on your travels, just...
0: Yeah, exactly. Just like hanging out. Have up. you seen
1: this paste painting wandering around?
0: <laughs> yeah, just like do 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 on its feet. <laughs> they were also used as a comparison with forgeries that might turn out purporting to be the original. She's incredibly hard to forge because of, of the that. tiny cracks in her in her paintings. She's wearing mm-hmm. this like veil and she's more or less impossible to fake. If you've seen the only Lisa in person or you know, in pictures, you'll see the cracks in her face mm. and her, just the whole thing. It would be damn s- impossible, impossible <laughs> to forge her. Someone said the wrinkles are her positive ID, which I liked. <laughs> also, you have to remember the painting's fame was restricted largely to the West in 1911, where she, he, she'd actually been buoyed up on... Romantic hype, because this man named Walter Pater wrote in 1869, She's older than the rocks among which she sits. Like the vampire, she has been dead many times. Which created mm. this like weird allure around her. It sounds kind of like creepy. Mm. Um, I've never seen the monogamous creepy, but now I kind of do. <laughs> also, the museum director was on holiday when this happened. And the guy in charge was like one of the curators... And he thought it must be somewhere in the museum. So he called the police. They sent 60 detectives and they searched the Louvre, which had closed early on the Tuesday.
1: So he thought someone had misplaced it and he got the police in to help him.
0: <laughs> Slipped down on crack somewhere, I don't know. But they couldn't find it. People in Paris laid flowers at the gates of the Louvre, like someone had died. Oh, wow. And suspects came pouring in from all over Europe and even New York. Uh, the Washington Post actually got it wrong and posted like the wrong picture as the Mona Lisa, like the wrong painting.
1: Goddamn Americans.
0: Thousands <laughs> of people wrote letters blaming other people, like, it's my dad, it's my girlfriend, it's my... <laughs> um, whoever, I saw this man, he looked shady or whatever.
1: Get some revenge, some family members, why not?
0: <laughs> so photographs of the crime scene... In a century ago did not show dramatically empty glass case as you would see now so if you've seen the mona lisa in modern times you can't get anywhere near it it's behind the glass case and in front of that is a kind of wooden barrier hmm. so you can't even if you stretched out you wouldn't even be able to touch the glass never yeah. mind the actual painting
1: and that room is always packed it's horrible it's like really hard to see yeah
0: yeah, they were saying how, like, 50% of the people that go to the Louvre just go to see the Mona Lisa. Yeah. Do you know how many other paintings that are, like, awesome are yeah. in there?
1: Yeah, way more impressive paintings in there, but yeah.
0: But then, it was just sitting between two other paintings, um, just like in a row of paintings.
1: That's the other annoying thing about that room, because there's other paintings in there, and they're really hard to see, because everyone's just crowded in there looking at this one painting, you're like, I just want to...
0: Can yeah, I want to yeah. They should have just a small room just for the Mona Lisa yeah. and then just like everyone else can just enjoy. Anyway, let's not get caught up in it. It's also well known that thousands of people came to view the empty spot. <laughs> <laughs> where more people like That's visited amazing. the empty spot than had visited the painting before it had been stolen.
1: <laughs> people love crime. They love a bit of
0: crime. So, what really put a face-to-name of the Mona Lisa, was the press coverage inspired by the theft. Major new newspapers across Europe ran the story and most had illustrations, like a photograph, with a reproduction of the painting. France's Illustration <laughs> produced a centre spread, saying, printing a story about Leonardo da Vinci and how he'd been in love with his sister and promising to have a colour reproduction within a few weeks. Yeah, okay. Sure. Okay. Millions of people who might never have seen it or never have even heard of it soon became experts on the stolen painting. (laughs) The only thing that there was to see now was four iron hooks and a dusty outline with a ghostly trace of the painting. One of the first suspects was a love-struck man who had been staring at the painting a lot, but he had nothing to do with the crime. Then some people blamed uh, foreigners, especially the Germans. People like to blame the Germans at this time.
1: Just the germ, just the Germans in general, not yeah, like an, just a specific any German.
0: German. I mean, I guess people writing in would be like, "I've got the shady German." Like, I <laughs> some people thought that wealthy Americans were behind it, especially like J.P. Morgan, who like famous art collectors. Some uh-huh. people said it was like locked in the vault at J.P. Morgan. One of the more notable suspects was Pablo Picasso himself. Really?
1: Yeah.
0: Of course, he had nothing to do with the crime. However, he did actually own some statues that had been stolen from the Louvre. <laughs> he didn't know that they had been stolen, and he bought them from the person that stole them. But that's just an interesting fact. Um, his friend, the poet uh, Guillaume Apollinaire, was also a suspect. And he was super shady. I think he had been part of like the previous stealing of the statues, but no charges brought against him.
1: Well, artists were like badasses back in the day.
0: Yeah, I really don't know. Like, they were like, "Do you know who it might have been? Pablo Picasso, <laughs> who's shady." Um, okay, so what about evidence? Come on, you've got like sixty police working on this. So what's evidence here? Yeah, so I think we've we don't got,
1: need evidence.
0: We've got two eyewitnesses. We've got the plumber, who described the guy who's, he saw as tall, even though he was 5'3". <laughs> and Ginger, which he wasn't, and with a beard, which he didn't have, so he's helpful. Then there was a guy who was like a florist, and saw a man carrying a package, and saw him throwing the doorknob away. He didn't know it was a doorknob, but he saw him throwing okay. something in the bushes. And he said he was throwing a hat, which he wasn't, so they're both super helpful. Oh God! Um, he did actually leave fingerprints. However, this is 1911. Yeah, they don't have the technology we have. They had 750,000 sets of fingerprints with 10 fingers each. So that's over seven million fingers to check. They did take 257 prints from Louvre workers, but had no matches. Then they got the glass workers to come and give their prints. But Perugia didn't show up.
1: Surely this is this is a bit suspect, right?
0: They sent the Fresh Bi to well, Fresh Bi, the French FBI, (laughs) not the Fresh Bi, the French Bi, (laughs) the French (laughs) Bi to visit him. They like checked around a bit. They questioned him, but they didn't take his fingerprints. Okay, (laughs) the French Bi. He had like a, a closet behind his bed. And they just didn't look in there, and that's where he was keeping it. No
1: one did a Columbo. Just one more thing. Can I take a look in that closet?
0: I feel like he just looked in there anyway. It wouldn't be as good a story if they just found it after a day. <laughs> Sometimes he kept it on his table, because it's wood. He could put it on his table.
1: He didn't use it like to eat his dinner off, did he? Sometimes he was like a table mat. Yeah. What the hell? No,
0: he'd put a mat over it.
1: This guy
0: this guy (laughs) so what did he do after this so at first perugia didn't leave paris he kept her locked in the cupboard and then under a stove in the kitchen and finally he made a proper place for her he got his friend apparently lance doletti to keep the mona lisa for about six weeks so he could build proper crate for her it was like a wooden crate where you could put it in and put it for a false bottom over the top. So if okay. anyone looked in it, it would just look empty.
1: Uh-huh.
0: Periga had a girlfriend called Matilda, who was German.
1: Ah, Germans, man.
0: She went to his room where the crate was and she said once they were married, she would have to get rid of it. But she actually dumped him before she could do this because he had letters from other women. Ah, uh,
1: well. Don't want to stereotype here, but he is Italian.
0: It's called Vincenzo. (laughs) So he went about his business. He went to work. He ate cafes. He went about his business. How long do you think he went about his business for? Two years. He went about his business for two years before he did anything. So on the 7th of December, 1913, he went to his favorite cafe. He let his friends and relatives know he was leaving for Italy the next day. He put the Mona Lisa in a crate with a false bottom, filled with clothes and his, like, instruments he had, and when they opened the box at the border, there was a false bottom and they didn't check it, so they let him through. Mm -hmm. Um, He returned to to an apartment in Florence, but after a while he got impatient um, and he called a Florentine dealer, who was called Alfred Gary,
1: and he hoped he could
0: help him, like, dispose of the, you know painting that he just couldn't sell Gary played along he even brought along the director of the Uffizi Mario Fratelli to the meeting at a hotel that Perugia was staying Perugia asked for 500,000 lira which is around 2 to 3 million dollars in today's money
1: jeez I was about to say surely that's not that much because the lira was like ridiculous (laughs) as a currency that is Um, true
0: but 500,000 that's yeah and then inflation, something like that. Gary said, okay, as long as we can authenticate it. And Perugia said, yeah, let's do it tomorrow. So Perugia went to his hotel, took the painting to the museum, where it was authenticated by both Gary and other people from the gallery, um, wait, like wait, the wait, director. Wait, wait,
1: wait. So he's taken a painting to sell. Yeah. And he's got like loads of. Officials from another gallery.
0: Just checking it out to make like, sure it was authentic. How did he
1: think this was going to go? Sorry.
0: <laughs> so they authenticated it and they took it in for safekeeping, probably informed the police who arrested Perugia at his hotel. So, why on earth did this house painter steal the Mona Lisa? There are a couple of theories. Theory number one, patriotism. So he may have wanted to bring the painting back from display, back from France to display in Italy after it was quote-unquote stolen by Napoleon. However, (laughs) it wasn't actually stolen by Napoleon. There (laughs) were paintings in the Louvre that were stolen by Napoleon, Mm -hmm. for sure. However, the Mona Lisa was not. The Mona Lisa was painted by Leonardo da Vinci, which he took with him to France. He loved this painting. He, like, took it around with him 250 years before Napoleon's birth. <laughs> <laughs> he actually sold it to Francois I, and, you know, completely legitimately. And after the aristocracy fell in the French Revolution, the painting became part of the public collection at the Louvre. So he may have just not known this and he may have been super patriotic and he wanted to take it back to its homeland, Italy, where it was painted. However, there are other reasons he may have wanted to take it. For example, money. So, experts have actually questioned this patriotism motive on the grounds that if patriotism was his motive, Perugia would have just donated the painting to an Italian museum, mm. rather than attempted to profit from its sale also, there's a whole bunch of letters in, I think it's like the Florence archives, from Perugia that sent to his father and friends, that say things like, I will make my fortune and it will arrive all in one shot And this was like in December of 1911. In 1912 he also sent another one saying, I'm making a vow to you to live long and enjoy the prize that your son is about to realise for you and our family. So it's pretty strong evidence that
1: he's looking to make
0: some money. He also did visit a different dealer in London before he went back to Italy. So I don't think he had the painting with him, Okay, but he just visited someone. So, but
1: they didn't bother informing the police.
0: Well, I guess they thought he was a crazy person who said he had the Mona Lisa. <laughs> <laughs> if he didn't have it with them.
1: But they didn't know that it had been stolen. Perfidious. Everybody knew. Being perfidious
0: again. So, he was put on trial. The court agreed to some extent that Perugia committed his crime for patriotic reasons and gave him a slightly lenient sentence. His psychiatrist also testified and his psychiatrist was called Dr. Paolo Amaldi, that he was mentally deficient, very simple, and fragile. Not crazy, but basically what he called him was a half-wit, which is not (laughs)
1: nice. Yeah, that's there. So how
0: long would you send this man to jail for, down for stealing the Mona Lisa and hanging on to it for two years and trying to sell it?
1: I mean, he got a knife out. And threatened a woman and got eight days. So I mean, <laughs> I'm not. I'm not expecting too much, really.
0: Yeah, well, you're right to not expect too much. <laughs> he received a year and 15 days.
1: How much of that did he actually serve
0: at marate Prison? Well, you're right to question that too. <laughs> he was actually hailed as a great patriot in Italy. Yeah, I'm not surprised. He appealed, <laughs> and it got down to seven months and he had already been in that seven months so let him out during his pill florence was hit by mona lisa fever imagine like everything you could imagine with the mona lisa on it like if you go to the louvre shop i bet it's like that you've got like tea towels and you've got like candles whatever it was like that in florence like everything had the mona (laughs) lisa on it at this point prigia had actually become something of a hero to italian people receiving love letters and cakes female fans when he was in prison.
1: So he probably
0: had a pretty good time. However, there is a third theory, and this theory is just rubbish, but I'm going <laughs> to tell you anyway. So the theft, some someone said, I'll tell you who it was, had been encouraged by a mastermind called Araldo di Valafino a con man who had commissioned the French art forger Lévo Cadron to make copies of the paintings so he could sell them as the missing original. Because obviously mm-hmm. forgeries sell for more if the original was missing. The theory is entirely based on a 1932 article from former Hearst journalist Karl Decker in the Saturday Evening Post. Decker claims to have known Valofino and heard the story from him in 1913, Promising not to print it until he learned of Valofino's death. There is absolutely no confirmation for the story whatsoever, and I heard a guy who's like an expert on Karl Decker talking, and he said that he thinks that he's made Valofino up. Like he didn't okay. even exist. So there are some people who think that how could this guy, this like unintelligent guy, pull off the greatest art art theft of the twentieth century? Well, he was he got super lucky, like yeah. He didn't need to have someone behind him. So, what happened after this? After his recovery, the painting was exhibited all over Italy. First of all, in the Uffizi room 28, as in in Florence, where they had authenticated it. Mm-hmm. 30,000 people visited it in four hours. And there was like a riot outside for the people that couldn't <laughs> get in.
1: So I guess the love were like, can we have our painting back? And they were like, they were all like, right. Hang
0: on a a <laughs> she was then sent to rome where she was handed to the french ambassador they went then to milan and then back to paris remarkably the painting was mostly undamaged it was two very small marks and i saw like this guy who's like got these amazing machines look at yeah. it and you can see it on the cheek, but it has to be so zoomed in, like so okay. close. It's one on the cheek and one on the shoulder. And a bit of marinara
1: must- sauce for his <laughs> <supposed> dinner.
0: <laughs> we well, must have taken incredibly good care of her, basically. <laughs> she was returned to the Louvre in 1913. While the painting was famous before the theft, like I said, the no notoriety it received from the newspaper headlines, I mean, is now the best known painting in the world. And this is why. Kruger yeah. himself was released from jail after a short time and then served in the Italian army during World War I. He was actually taken prisoner during World War I, held in a prisoner of war camp by- in Austria for two years. He later married and he had one daughter called Celestina, who is in the documentary I watched and she's adorable. She was 84 in the documentary, so she may well not be with us anymore they returned to france and continued to, she he continued to work as a painter decorator using his birth name was which is pietro perugia he actually went to the louvre with his wife and they looked at the mona lisa together <laughs> imagine imagine I, i'm just i love it oh, so one. much see that yeah see stole that? that stole that me had it with me for two years, I did. Yeah, and he actually opened a paint shop in France called the Horté Savoy. Nice. He died on the 8th of October, 1925, his 44th birthday.
1: Oh, that is early. In
0: the town of saint Mar de fosse of a heart attack. His death was not widely reported by the media... Partly, I must have been because he used, was using his birth name. But mm. then in 1947, another guy also called Vincenzo Perugia died, and everyone was reporting that as him. <laughs> but he'd already been dead for like 22 years. His daughter, Celestina, was only two years old when he died. Oh, and his gosh. widow married his younger brother. Oh,
1: okay. Yes. Weird, huh? That is peculiar.
0: They held the truth from Celestina for years and she didn't even find out about the theft until she was 19 years old from her like future husband's aunt who told her about <laughs> it. Um, which I just think is amazing. It's quite funny. And one last fact about mm. the Mona Lisa is that the Louvre has not loaned out the Mona Lisa ever. Not once since then has it loaned out the Mona Lisa because obviously paintings do move around like yeah. on loan I've been to see like amazing exhibitions of things that usually hang in galleries in like the Met or in the Louvre mm-hmm. or in you know the Van Gogh Museum or the Picasso Museum or the Rembrandt Museum but you can't see the Mona Lisa unless you go to the Louvre and this is probably one of the reasons why in fact Florence the 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 gallery that it was hung in in Florence when mm-hmm. he sold it. In 2011 they asked for a loan of it mm-hmm. to commemorate the, the hundred years that it was lost there and they were yeah. like, no. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> so um, that is the story of the most famous <laughs> art theft of the 20th century. I'm sorry I couldn't find out more about his life, but there's just nothing out there. I mean, he was just, uh, up until the theft and after it he was just like a regular guy
1: yeah that was his uh that was his brief shiny Please. moment yeah the, uh, that's
0: it that was his one event
1: in the son of destiny or whatever. But celestina
0: his his daughter was talking on this documentary i watched and she was just saying the guy who had written and directed the documentary brought her all this information that she didn't know about her her dad because you know he died when she was two Mm-hmm. And she said, like, whenever people ask me about the Mona Lisa now, I'm just going to tell them, no, nope, we're not talking about it. I'm done <laughs> with it. Um, there's a plaque as well on the door of the hotel that he stayed in, like on the room. It's like yeah. number number 20 of the hotel he stayed in, saying this is where Vincenzo Priga stayed with the Mona Lisa. Um, <laughs> and so, like, yeah. You can, and then you go in and there's, like, a photograph poster of the... With the main release so above the bed, it looks like a pretty shabby hotel. But they definitely <laughs> must get their costume just from that one one thing.
1: It's a weird thing stealing art because, like, what are you gonna do with it? It is it's gonna be impossible to sell.
0: Well, yeah, some people steal it to sell it to art collectors who then just hang it in their houses. Some people steal it for reverse bribery purposes. Mm -hmm. So they're like, we've got the Mona Lisa, give us this money and you'll get it Mm -hmm. back. So, kind of like stealing a person, but like
1: kidnapping (laughs) a picture. Yeah,
0: it's kidnapping art. Um, And I guess some people, you know, some people think that like this big art guy is like giving you a shopping list, like, I want this one and this one and this Mm -hmm. one. But some of them, clearly aren't that way so the one i'm reading about right now the rembrandts that were stolen in 1990 it was part mm-hmm. of like 10 or 11 paintings that were stolen from this gallery and they took two rembrandts and vermeer and like some other paintings but they left the ones that actually would have been worth more at the time okay so clearly it didn't they weren't like art connoisseurs because yeah. they if they had known about art history they would have taken the other paintings but they just went for the Rembrandts and the Vermeer,
1: unless they were just kind of like, those. Just those were the those were the the paintings that that whoever had ordered the the heist they were just the ones he liked. Yeah, yeah, they or
0: liked. they just grabbed the ones of the uh, artists that they recognised uh-huh. because the other paintings there were from less well-known artists, but they were more valuable. Okay, then. but Rembrandt is like the most stolen artist. Interesting. Ever.
1: Even if you are like a, a a private art collector and you've stolen it and you put it in your house, you can't. Surely you can't show it to anyone ever.
0: Well, you don't necessarily need to put it in your house. You can just like put it in like a special room that just has like stolen art. <laughs> something. But then,
1: what's the point?
0: It's just it is weird, isn't it? Yeah. Like what? And also, where are they? These ones that were stolen in 1990, we yeah. still don't know. That baffs me that we still don't know. Oh, also, additionally, everyone. There is a Netflix documentary coming out about the one I'm talking about, the Rembrandt one, which I didn't even know when I started reading this book. So like, I started reading this book and I saw there was a Netflix documentary coming out and I was like, Netflix are reading my mind because the last <laughs> fiction book I read, they had also just bought. So I was like, Ev- is it like every book that I'm reading you're now buying? If so, I need to like, there's some... Stuff I really want to get made, just
1: wish hard enough, and it'll happen,
0: <laughs> yeah, um what are you reading?
1: uh what am I reading oh, I'm reading a a book about the uh wrestler Japanese war, but I'm kind of like bogged down in it i'm uh I'm not finding it particularly that interesting at the moment, so
0: mm.
1: it's a bit of a chore if I'm yeah with you. I
0: sometimes find like when you find a book that you're so into, like I'm really into this this art heist book, yeah it's not a chore but sometimes it's a chore but you also feel like you should be reading it. I'm actually mm. like h- about 60% through the stand and I am finding Hell a yeah. bit of a chore because it is so long that by now a normal book would have been over mm. because it's like 800 pages. Um, So I'm kind of like paused on it because I'm listening to it on Audible. I'm paused on that and I'm listening to like a another book in between that's only like 10 hours long. Yeah. So I can kind of have a breather from the post-apocalyptic <laughs> craziness that is a stand. So yeah, I know what you mean. I've kind of got fatigue.
1: I think I've just got history book fatigue. I need to read a novel
0: after this, You I think. should. Everyone should read a fiction and a non-fiction like, at yeah. the same time. Because sometimes you're just not in the mood for one or the other. Mm. Um, I've got four books on the go because I've got two Actual books and two Audible books, like on the go. Oh yeah! Sometimes I'm walking and I can't. I mean, I, sometimes I do walk and read a book, but I look like a freak. <laughs> but obviously, when you're walking, you can't just yeah. So I listen to the Audible, and sometimes I want my Stephen King, and sometimes I want Beyond Belief, which is a book about someone who escaped Scientology. Another book about <laughs> someone who escaped Scientology. So um, yeah. It's it's like four books. But I'm always in the headspace to read at least one of them. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I think my problem with the book I'm reading at the moment is uh it's very much just about like the like the strategy and the tactics you use like on the field, like in the war, with no politics. And I just don't think you can get a very good grasp of uh of how a war goes without any of the like diplomatic and political efforts that go on behind the scenes.
0: That is true. Like,
1: half the story. Mhm. Yeah. The part of missing.
0: yeah, I think that, for, for me, I'm not super into military history in terms of mm. like their battles, but I am super into like, the political side. Yeah. So if me and you just put our brains together,
1: <laughs> we'd
0: have an unstoppable force. <laughs> Speaking of unstoppable forces, you could help us be an unstoppable force by telling your friends about this podcast and, like, your family <laughs> and people on twitter and people on instagram just tell people and just about on the us. street
1: just shout about it yeah it doesn't Post- matter if you look crazy
0: <laughs> the crazy the better actually <laughs> um but you could also if you don't want do that you could subscribe wherever you're listening to this and give us a five-star review if you'd like to it doesn't take much time but no pressure you know yeah. if you want to write
1: your name there. and we'll give you a uh, give you a shout out
0: On the waves And if you're a podcast, please leave your name and we will listen back. We'll reciprocate.
1: And follow us on the social media, even though it is dragging the world into the abyss. (laughs) Uh, Have you ever (laughs) have you ever paused?
0: Have you ever pod indeed? And thank you very much for people that tweeted us about the most famous painting. Um because it is probably as we have discovered the Mona Lisa
1: (laughs) And her weird smile. Is it a smile?
0: Is it a smile or is it a grin? Or was it she real? Who knows? No one will ever know. (laughs) I will see you next time. Bye. Bye!